Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by our special guest speaker. So in Nicaragua, uh, a lot of it was preaching um, to a language we didn't understand, so there was a translator, but sometimes uh, they would preach in Spanish, and we would have an English translator. So for today's word, uh, actually, if you want to open up your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 2, we'll all be reading from there in God's word today. And, you know, God did something in Nicaragua, and I said it earlier, and I believe it. God has something for you today. And in just a few minutes, I want to look at what God's word says and what he's put on my heart. Uh, luckily for me, uh, I don't just get one or two minutes to do a testimony. I get a sermon. Let's go, baby. Uh, But I believe that God has something for you. So if you want to open up to Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 14, we're going to have our one and only Dina read it in Spanish. Amen. Hace todo sin murmuraciones y contiendas para que seáis irreprensibles y sencillos, hijos de Dios sin mancha, en medio de una generación maligna y perversa en medio de la cual resplandecéis como luminares en el mundo, asidos de la palabra de vida, para que en el día de Cristo yo pueda gloriarme, que no he corrido en vano, ni en vano he trabajado, y aunque sea derramado en libación sobre el sacrificio y servicio de vuestra fe, me gozo y regocijo con todos vosotros, y asimismo gozaos y regocijaos también vosotros conmigo. Amén. Amén. Thank you, Dina. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your testimonies that you've done in everyone's life here. But God, thank you for your word. Now, God, as we look into your word a little bit, God, I pray that you would open it up. God, let us hear you more and see you more and understand you more. And God, give us a heart like yours. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. All right, so what's going on here? Some of you guys were able to follow along. The king is alive. The Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one of God, was born of a virgin one holy night in a little town of Bethlehem. And he grew up. He fulfilled prophecies. He uh, did miracles. He healed the sick. He cleansed the lepers. And he eventually got to the point that he died on a cross, saved us from our sins, rose from the dead, and gives us resurrection life. That's what's going on. Well, right after that happened, Jesus took his disciples and all of his followers, and he gave them one final command. And right before he ascended up into heaven, he gave them the command of commands, and it's the same one that he gave to you and me. Uh, it's a mission, and it's in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, and he said, Go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Then he says, go and teach them to observe all I've commanded, and I'll be with you even to the end of the age. That's our mission, to go and make disciples of every nation. To go to places you've never been. To go to people you've never met. To go to languages you've never understood. To go to situations you've never been around. To go there so that you can proclaim Jesus Christ died on a cross to save them from their sins. There's a gospel that lives in your heart, and God said, hey, Get that into the hearts of the world. And that's what we tried to do for just a week on this missions trip. We tried to take on that mission. Uh, But some people take on that mission for the rest of their life. We call those missionaries. And in the Bible, uh, being a missionary was a new thing uh, because Jesus just 
just happened, you know? So there was one guy, he took that mission to heart. His name was Paul. And I want to look at him real quick. Paul was so excited to be a missionary. He was so excited. And I'm underselling Paul. Paul, there's a whole backstory. If you're brand new to Christianity, read like anywhere in the Bible, you'll learn about Paul. Uh, Paul was so excited to go tell people about Jesus. So he did what we're all supposed to do. He trained. And the Bible says he took about 10 years to train. Uh, He went everywhere he could to meet Christians, to learn what Jesus did, to learn what Jesus said, to learn how Jesus acted, to learn how Jesus reacted. I mean, Jesus uh, grew up, uh, he was fully God, but fully man too. And he grew up as a carpenter and he was like, wait a second, if Jesus was a carpenter, uh, that meant he was either the boss and he had employees and customers, or he was an employee and he had bosses. You're telling me? A man with a boss and customers never sinned? How did he do it? You know, he had to figure out, who is this Jesus? Well, after 10 years of doing that, making tents, making money, saving money, he was all ready to go on this trip. He had saved up enough to spend the rest of his life as a traveling evangelist. So one day, life threw a curveball. Everything sort of came crashing down. He preached to the wrong crowd. Uh, They got mad. They threw him in jail. And here he was rotting in jail. His dreams of being a traveling evangelist for the rest of his life, he had only spent a couple years actually evangelizing. Some of you, you've planned your whole life to do something. You've been going to school. You've been going to work. You've been saving money. You've been saving into your retirement account. You've been investing in your kids. You've been been doing everything to save up to have a future that you thought, and here life threw a curveball at you. You're not where you thought. You're in a prison in life, a prison of stress, a prison of worry, a prison of hopelessness. What do you do next? You know, how do you get to that next place? The Bible teaches a lot about what you do when you're in prison. Uh, tons, of, tons of places in the Bible. And, and some, uh, some places, it, it talks about our struggle, where it says our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and spiritual forces. And some places in the Bible, it, God wants to remind you, the stuff you're dealing with, you're not dealing with a cranky boss. You're dealing with a spirit realm. You know, you're not dealing with uh, kids that are out of control. You're dealing with something spiritual. You're not dealing with a spouse that's going crazy on you because you forgot to take out the trash. Uh, you're dealing with something spiritual. Other places, uh, God teaches when you're in prison the power of worship. Uh, that in the midnight hour, when everything is going bad, you got no hope. When you lift those hands to pray, the chains fall. Other places in the Bible, it talks about the power of patience. You got this guy, Joseph. He had no reason to be in a prison. He didn't touch Potiphar's wife. He didn't do anything bad. And here he is riding in a prison. But what God teaches through him is sometimes God puts you in the place so that you meet the, or you, so you meet the person that you would have never met if you weren't in there. So that someday you could meet the Pharaoh and change the world. Maybe God has you where he has you to meet the people that he wants you to meet, you know? Sometimes you feel stuck in a prison. And, uh, and that's how I felt the other day. We were in Nicaragua, and I felt stuck in a prison of stress. Uh, not for Nicaragua. I was loving Nicaragua. It was the best. Uh, I was stressed about something back home. And on the, as I was driving to the airport and in the airport, and then that next day, the whole, like, first two days of travel, my mind was consumed with something back home. And how many of you guys know that sometimes stress pulls you away so bad that wherever you are, you're not there. You're at home, but you're not at home. You're hanging with your kids, but your, your mind is at work. 
You're at work, but your mind is at home. You know, you're with your family, but your mind is elsewhere. And that's what stress does. It, it consumes you in a prison that prevents you from being where you're at. And I struggled with that for a, a couple days in Nicaragua where, you know, I was trying to find a, a time to get away from the team, uh, to get alone, to pray about what I was dealing with. Uh, dealing with, and I felt like God knocked me upside the head and was like, hey, I didn't send you to Nicaragua to stress about the future. I sent you to Nicaragua to pour into the people of Nicaragua. I sent you there to pour into the team there. I sent you to pour into the people there. I sent you to be there. Don't worry about tomorrow. Like, tomorrow will worry about itself. Remember Jesus said something like that? He said, pour into the people there. And I feel like that's the, the message for us is, Don't worry about the future as much as you're worrying about it. Worry about pouring into the people that God put in your life now. Because maybe that's why he sent you to Nicaragua, to pour into Nicaragua. Maybe that's why he sent you to that job. Maybe that's why he gave you those kids. Maybe that's why he gave you that family. Maybe that's why he put you with that weird neighbor that none of the other neighbors like. But you're like, well, why does he live next to me? Well, one, you moved in second, okay? He was there first. Two, maybe God has you there for a reason. And uh, that's what Paul did. Paul chose to pour himself out. And verse 17, if uh, you were reading in an English Bible, it says, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. He was saying, I I don't want to be stuck in here. I want to be out there. But since I'm here, God, I'm going to give you my best. I'm going to pour myself out to God. And a drink offering was a powerful thing. So who here has ever given a, uh, a drink offering before? Drink, oh, good, we don't need to. It's, it's Old Testament. Uh, Jesus was the last drink offering. His blood was spilled as a drink offering for us. But in the Old Testament, it had all sorts of offerings. Sometimes you'd bring bulls. Uh, you'd bring doves or sheep or anything. Uh, but sometimes you would do a drink offering. And most offerings made you feel good. Because when you give the bull, you know it would be burned to God. But at least... Uh, it would be cut up, and you'll be feeding people. You'll be feeding the priests. Uh, sometimes you would give a money offering, and you know it's going somewhere good. It's paying the lights, or it's paying for kids to have crayons in the in the kids' church. Uh, my wife is running a kids' church right now with the team. Woohoo! Uh, I have to give her a high five later on. She loves those. Uh, but like, you know, when you give an offering, it's going somewhere good. You're blessing a kid to go to Nicaragua. It's somewhere good. Drink offerings go only to God. Here's how a drink offering works. You take a drink. I'm not going to do it here because Dina will kill me. uh, And you just open it up, pour it out to God, and that's it. And a drink offering takes faith. Uh, Now, uh, Leviticus, where is it? can't remember offhand. Leviticus, uh, Numbers chapter 15. If you're like, man, I got to learn about drink offerings. Numbers 15. uh, I would say it's a good read. It's just a read. It tells you about drink offerings. Um. It tells how they sort of did it. But we see David in the Bible. He poured out water. We see um, the priest pour out wine. One time Jacob poured out the water in his hand. But it takes faith because what you have to do is you have to take your drink and walk past the temple gates. And oftentimes at the temple gates, there were poor people. There were lame people. There were blind people. There were people that couldn't move. And they were begging for food, begging for water, begging for something to help them through the day. And what you had to do was you had to have the faith to say, hey, this, this wine in my hand, I'm about to do something better than give it to you. And you would walk past them, give it to the priest, and they would pour it on the altar, and it would just go to God. 
that takes a weird level of faith. Like, that takes a crazy faith to say, this is actually better than giving it to someone. And now Jesus was clear. He wants you to feed the poor, or feed the poor, uh, give a cold water, uh, a cup of cold water in my name. Jesus wants us to actually do something useful with our offerings. But sometimes you would have to say, the, the stuff in my hand goes right to God. And I was thinking about in Nicaragua, there was a couple times that we fed the kids, and, man, the food was so precious for them. Uh, the first time they gave me a cup and I had to walk outside around this like alleyway. It's all dirt, stepping over some trash. There was like dogs, weird skinny dogs running around. And I'm like, oh no, everything's bumping me. I wasn't dripping that water or we had Kool-Aid. I wasn't going to spill that Kool-Aid because it's the most precious thing these kids have for the day. And then I gave it to the kids. Not a drop was spilled from any kid because it's precious. And sometimes with drink offerings, God wants you to know that what's in your cup is the most precious thing you have. And our cup is our life. And the things we pour out, we pour out all the time. And you're pouring out stress, or you're pouring out time, or you're pouring out energy, you're pouring out your hopes, you're pouring out your dreams, you're pouring out something all the time. And everyone, it's sort of at the beginning of the day, your life, you know, if you call it a cup with that analogy, every day you start with some amount and you pour out to different things. And some of you guys, you've been pouring out to everything in the world, and it feels like you're pouring out, and nothing's refilling you. You're pouring out into, like, it's like a barren wasteland. And some of you have gotten to the point that you're like, God, I've been investing in this relationship. I've been investing in these people. I've been investing in this job. I've been investing and, and, and pouring. Uh, same word, investing, pouring. You're, just, you're, you're giving and giving, and I'm dry. It's not giving anything back. And I think some of you need to remember uh, what the psalmist said, where he goes, hey, this isn't working. Where does my help come from? Oh, yeah, Psalm 121, my help comes from the Lord. I lift my eyes to the hills, for there my help comes from. And when you get to the point that you should say, I'm not going to focus on what I'm pouring into. I'm going to focus on who's pouring into me. And you can pour out the last bit of what you have to God. God's going to give you rivers of living water, stuff that you didn't know you had before. And before long, you're going to go get so used to looking at God that it'll just start overflowing. And you'll be like, God, I can't help this, but I can get with you. And sometimes Sometimes that's what you need is to say, yeah, I'm bound up in stress. Yeah, I'm in Nicaragua, and I'm thinking about something back home. But, God, I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to pour out to you and see what you do. When you do that, God's going to fill you with so much. Uh, John 7, 37, Jesus said this. He said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And then it says, uh, verse 39, by this he meant the spirit whom those who have believed were later to receive. Uh, if you remember, uh, right uh, after worship, when Pastor Matt came up, he talked about the rivers of living water that flow from within us. It's because God put his spirit in us. And some of us, we get so used to, I mean, we're pouring out and pouring out, and just the weight of the world is getting to us, and we get to the point that we say, God, I can't give any more. I'm up to my last nerve. Some of you got to get to the point that you go, well, that means I got one nerve left. I'll give that to you too. And when you fully empty yourself, that last bit, I didn't drink enough of this, but that, imagine there's just that bit. Some of you guys, because this is me too, we wait until we have that much left and we say, I'm not giving nothing left. I'm not giving nothing to anyone. I'm not, I'm not going to be nice to anyone today. I'm done. I'm done being nice. I'm fed up. And then we end up being bitter. We end up being stale, stagnant. 
God isn't the God of stagnant water. He's a God of living waters. And uh, that's just what it is. You know what I loved about Nicaragua was uh, during the sermons, everyone was like, mm, they were just thinking and stuff. But as soon as the word of God was read, they were standing and hooting and hollering. They were so excited. Like, it was pretty interesting. It was cool. Uh, that's what Paul did. He tried his best to pour out. He's encouraging us to do it. Well, in the same chapter, Philippians chapter 2, uh, Paul talks about himself being poured out. He also pa- talks about someone else being poured out, uh, more specifically being emptied out. And some of you guys uh, have been studying the Bible, you've been hearing sermons, and you know Philippians chapter 2 is the kenosis chapter. And some of you guys are on the edge of your seat, you're like, oh, say kenosis, say kenosis. If you're brand new, that's basically the term for when Jesus was in heaven. I mean, he was the second part of the Trinity. He has everything he has to ever have, but he decided to empty himself to become like us. Uh, Verse 7 says, But Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, there's a world of things you could talk about, the kenosis and pouring yourself out and emptying yourself out and humbling yourself. Uh, But all I want to do is say, uh, after Paul had taught all about how Jesus emptied himself, so that we can have a relationship with God, then Paul was like a little kid. He was like, uh, uh, Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pour on myself too. If Jesus could do it, I could do it too. And some of you guys, that's what you need to hear is you're like, I can't pour myself out anymore. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of these people around me. I'm, I'm empty. Why? They don't even deserve me to pour out. Guess what? We didn't deserve for Jesus to pour himself out, but he did anyway. And we're grateful because of it. Some of you guys, you need to pour out so that, one, you take that stale life that you, it's just stale. And God wants to pour that out to give you rivers of new life. Others, the message isn't about getting a new life for yourself. You're good with God, man. You go to church all the time. You're excited. You, go, you pray all the time. You worship all the time. You constantly got this with God. Some of you need to pour out for others. So uh, the last thing I want to talk about is a guy named David. Uh, not David Sims. He was the champ on this trip, though. Come on, David. Uh, but David uh, in the Bible. Some of you guys might know it if you're new. David and Goliath, you know, a little kid with a slingshot. Bam, hit him in the head. Uh, David was a man after God's own heart. And if there's anyone in the Bible uh, who their pouring out affected other people, I'd say it was David. Uh, you see, as a kid, David was anointed by the prophet in Israel that he would be the next king. Uh, and from then on, man, he was making moves. Like Paul spent 10 years training and studying and saving money. He spent 10 years to be an evangelist. David, he spent his life getting ready to become king. And think about some of these moves he did. Uh, he fought a lion and a bear. Sweet, which gave him courage to fight Goliath, uh, which gave him fame among the people, which gave him favor to get a job as a soldier. And he became one of the best soldiers, uh, which gave him a platform to shine uh, among the king and get favor, which gave him the chance to marry one of the king's daughters. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, daughter of a king is a princess. So this kid goes from being a shepherd, sort of a nobody, uh, to doing everything he could. He became a famous hero, soldier, warrior who married a princess. He's taken the right steps to become a king. But then what happened, years later, we see him rotting in a cave, hiding for his life, homeless, jobless, moneyless, 
wifeless. The king literally took his wife and was like, no, and gave her to someone else. Like, he had everything taken from him. If there was anyone that had a chance to be bitter, it would be David. And some of you guys are in that same boat. You've been prepping. I mean, you were taught as a kid, if A plus B equals C, you've done A. You've done B. Where's C? You know, where, where is it? You've, you've gone to school. You've, you've, you've done the investments. You've, you've said the right things to this person. You've done the right actions. You've invested everything you could. And here you are, sad, lonely, depressed. Not where you want to be. Maybe on the surface it looks good. On the surface, David still had the, the old prophecy that someday he'll be king. So we could say, oh, David knew he was going to be king the whole time. Maybe, on the, maybe he did. But maybe he realized, I once lived in a palace, and now I'm in the dumps. And uh, actually, if we, have, if we have someone coming up to the keyboard, I'm not good enough yet that I could jam on the keyboard. But uh, if not, just uh, think about it in your mind. But this is where I want to wrap up uh, and try to hit it home today. Yo, get it, Dan. Pastor Dan, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, there's something <laughs> Mason's clapping. Uh, there's something cool about David, because in all of that, he had every right to become bitter, to say, I'm not pouring out anything else. God, I'm mad. When we talk about Job being mad. Job sort of makes, like, Job is tough, because Job didn't have any of the Bible. Job didn't have any of, he didn't know about Jesus. Job didn't know about Moses. Job didn't know about nobody. Like, Job was so old that he didn't have anyone. David, he knew the promises of God. And he was like, God, why am I where I'm at? But I love David because years later, he would one day be leading an army again. But this time as a king. And one day as king, he would say to his bodyguards, man, I'm thirsty. I wish I had some water. And his bodyguards would take that to heart, and they would run through enemy lines. They would charge through the field, break through the fortresses, go everywhere, get to the well, and bring him up some water. And then they would conserve that water, fight back through the enemy lines, and bring it to David. And then David would do the coolest thing a king could do. He would take that water that his soldiers risked their lives to give him, and he would hold it up and dump it out on the ground and say, my God will supply all my needs. This is too precious for me to consume. I'm going to give my best to God. And the reason that I think the soldiers were willing to go fight for him to get him that water is because they knew the history of David, that he gives out everything he has to God. And what I love about and the reason I love this story is because those same soldiers who were known as David's mighty men, who were willing to go fight through the lines to get water for their king, those are the same men who were hiding out in the caves with David years earlier. The Bible says that they were men. Uh, those, uh, 1 Samuel 22 says, Those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around David, and he became their commander. These men were in debt. In, in, in Bible times, if you were in debt, you would become a slave. These guys didn't want to become a slave, so they ran, and they were hiding, and they were, these were men who were running. These were men who had nothing. These were men who had lost everything. These were men who were in a hopeless situation, but these men who were nobodies became somebodies because a child of God poured into their lives. Some of you are surrounded by people who you think, you won't say it, but you're like, man, you're you're nobody. You're going nowhere. You work with them. You're like, man, you're a, you're a knucklehead. Why can't you get anything right? And some of you are like, man, God, aren't they ever going to learn? And maybe God put you in their life 
to pour into them the same thing that God's poured into you. And what I like is David was in the same boat that they were in. They were all hiding in caves. They were all homeless. They were all sad. They were all had nothing. But one person in the group, in the quiet times, sung songs to God. In his quiet times, wrote poetry to God. In his quiet times, when everything was going wrong, he wrote and he said things like, Lord, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Life is bad. But still my cup overflows, saying, even in my darkest times, I'm going to overflow because, God, you fill me with everything I need. And when that happens, the people around you see a light that's overflowing and that attracts them, and they want to become more. Some of you guys are surrounded by people who are champions, and they don't know it yet. And you're saying, God, who will you send to help them? And God's saying, I sent you. Pour yourself out to God. and See what God does. If I could have everyone bow your head and close your eyes. Father God, you were, you were speaking to me in Nicaragua about not worrying about the things back home, but Lord about pouring out to the people I was around. And Lord, I got blessed because of it. And God, I pray that everyone here, that you would show them who they need to pour out to. Show them the person. Show them the adult, the kid, the friend, the neighbor, the boss, the the coworker, the, the whoever, the person they see at the grocery store. God, show them the person they need to pour out to. And God, I pray that you would fill them, Lord, with the faith to pour out that last drop and to say, I give everything I have, not to you, but to God. And when, God, when they do that, Fill them with more than they could ever imagine. And God, let this place have no still water or no stale water, but Lord, let it be a place of overflow where we get so used to crying out to you and saying, God, I need more to get through the day. If you're in this place and you're like, man, I'm empty. I need more of God. Then right now where you're sitting, just say, God. Like say, 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 God, I need more of you. And in your heart, it doesn't have to be a big prayer, a big fancy thing. Just say, God, I need more of you. I need you to fill me because I'm surrounded by people who need you. I need you to fill me because I got nothing left to give. I need you to fill me because my cup is empty. I need you to fill me and wait and see that God will fill you because he loves you and he wants to fill you and he wants to and he will. God, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.